assume you, you recognize this, but I want to make sure you, you recognize this, that uh, you make that possible every year. It's, it's your giving and uh, your work and, and the, the work of our neighborhood outreach ministry with uh, Sheila Eichert and Larry O'Boyle and Stephan Eichert and uh, Bradley Sage and a whole bunch of people who um, labor regularly to reach out to uh, the young people in our community and to be a blessing to them, to, to introduce them to Jesus and to the truth of the gospel and God's word, to the love of God. And then your giving, again, helps make that possible. So uh, give yourselves a hand. Thank you for being uh, um, the kind of folk that do that. Yeah. That was a tepid hand you gave yourselves. I just want to say, I think, I think you're better than that. I don't know. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Um, well, uh, recently, um, my family and I, not too long ago, very, very recently, my family and I were able to go on vacation together um, to the beach. This isn't changing anything here. but uh, um, Nope. So if you'll, the problem is I can't see this. So, uh, so uh, we had a great time. Uh, did a lot of things together. We uh, played a little bit of disc golf. We uh, ate a little too much seafood. Uh, we spent some time in the local pokey. And um, we had some fun on the beach. If you're curious about the pokey thing, you'll have to ask me about that later. But uh, this past week, I was looking through some of my photos uh, from that time away and, and kind of thinking about it. It's, it's only been a little over a week, um, a week and a half or so since we've been back. But, uh, but it was interesting to me in thinking over that time and, and all the things we did together. And we did a lot of wonderful things together as a family. Um, as I thought back through it and as I remember through it for myself, I was a little surprised that for me, one of my very favorite things um, from that time away was our time of family devotions that we had. And, and that may sound odd, and frankly, it, was, it struck me as odd, but I really loved our time doing that before we'd start our day and kind of uh, about the things that we did. We were walking together through Proverbs. We, um, we'd read a section, then we kind of pick one verse and sort of focus on that. We started uh, first day focusing on, on the... Uh, sorry, I forget that this isn't working... Uh, on Proverbs uh, 1, seven, and then every day we'd start there again just kind of as a review and, and, and move on. And um, the Lord's been talking to me about this really ever since that. And I, so I want to talk to you a little bit today, or at least begin talking to you a little bit today, about the subject of the fear of the Lord uh, as God continues to kind of put that on my heart. And so this is where I want us to start this morning. Will you stand with me, please, as you're able to do that? in honor of the Word of God, just kind of get us focused and moving. I want us to read together Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. This is what the Bible says. Together we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Can we do that again? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Praise the Lord. Uh, actually, it's discipline. That's right. Uh, praise the Lord. You may, uh, you may be seated. It can be translated multiple ways. Um, but uh, this verse begins with a concept uh, that, in my experience at least, I don't find too many Christians talking about these days. And that is the, the concept of the, the fear of the Lord. And I find it interesting that that I hear so few Christians talking about it because the concept is all over the Bible. Uh, the concept appears well over 100 times, by some estimates almost 400 times throughout the course of the Scripture. The exact phrase, the fear of the Lord, appears some 14 times in the book of Proverbs alone. And I suspect, I can't prove it, but I suspect that 
for many Christians, the avoidance of talking about the fear of the Lord is, is really born of a desire to emphasize the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God. After all, the Bible tells us in the very same book uh, uh, that... Um, you need you to stay with me there. Yep. Uh, that God is love, 1 John 4, 16, and that there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear, 1 John 4, 18. So both of those things being true, why in the world would somebody fear God? Especially somebody who knows Him as a loving Father and Savior. If God really is love, if he really is a loving, compassionate, heavenly father, then how and why should we fear him? And why does the Bible call you to fear him? The most basic answer to the question of why you should fear the Lord is very simply this. To know God is to fear him. He is simply too overwhelming not to fear at some fundamental level. And anyone who doesn't get that doesn't yet know God as they need to. Sadly, that means there are a ton of people, including, I would suggest, a junk ton of Christians who need a deeper, a truer understanding of who God is and what He's like. Because while it is absolutely unequivocally true that God is loving and gracious, and good, that he's merciful, and kind, and full of compassion. It is simultaneously true that he is perfect, and holy, and awesome, and huge. It is simultaneously true that his eyes are too pure to look on evil, and that he cannot and does not tolerate wrong. It is simultaneously true that he hates sin in its various forms and is angry with the wicked every day. It is simultaneously true that sin cannot dwell in his presence and he has promised one day to judge it thoroughly and eternally. In other words, in addition to the truth that God is love is the truth of his all-consuming glory and his unapproachable holiness. So the, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's interesting, at least to me, that the Greek words here translated as reverence and awe both carry with them in a profound way the connotation of fear. We are, in other words, in some fashion and at some very basic level to worship God in fear, to praise and honor and venerate Him in the holy fear of the Lord. Because while He is absolutely a loving Father, He is simultaneously a consuming fire and the two are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they're part and parcel of the same reality. Now, I've already mentioned that, that we don't find a whole lot of Christians today talking very much about the fear of the Lord, 
but that was not always the case. In fact, uh, Martin Luther, his personal testimony is something of a case study in the subject of the fear of the Lord. The unhealthy fear of the Lord and a healthy fear of the Lord. Prior to Luther's great revelation of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, prior to that, by his own testimony, Luther lived in an incredibly unhealthy fear of God. He says he hated the phrase. He hated the phrase. He was serving as a monk, and he hated the phrase, the righteousness of God, because it terrified him, always bringing up in his own mind his own unrighteousness. Luther was, by his own testimony, deeply and desperately afraid of God, in large part because he was so aware of his own failings. But when the Spirit of God convinced him through the Bible, through the power of the Scriptures, that peace with God is offered by God as a gift, that that the favor of God is offered as a gift purely by grace, solely by grace, that is solely by the kindness and the generosity of God, he offers his favor to you when Luther understood that and that he could receive it, he could have it in his own life, peace with God and the favor of God, he could have those in his own life simply by believing and trusting in God, receiving it through faith. When Luther understood that, for the very first time, he found himself truly, deeply loving God. And at that point, following that great revelation, Luther, listen to me, Luther went from being someone who feared God to being someone who loved and feared God. Because as I've already said a moment ago, you can't really know God without fearing Him at some fundamental level. The, uh, The truth is, The fear of God is unbearable apart from the love of God. And the love of God is not really understood at all apart from the fear of God. If you don't know how holy and terrifying God is in His holiness, you don't understand the love He's extended toward you. And if you don't know the love He's extended toward you in Jesus, you can't bear the fear of him. The difference for Luther, moving from someone who feared God to someone who loved and feared God, the difference for Luther was that his earlier fear was just fear. It was fear and nothing but fear. Unadulterated fear. Fear that had not been tempered. Fear that had not been shaped by a genuine love and trust of God. It was fear that was wholly untouched by an understanding of the heart of God and of God's great desire to save and restore. Once Luther came to know and trust the love of God, his fear of God became healthier and more biblical. And it then shaped and directed the rest of his life and ministry. So that many of you are familiar, I trust, with Luther's small catechism. When Luther, in his small catechism, teaches on the Ten Commandments, he begins his explanation of each commandment with a simple phrase, we should fear and love God. We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor. 
We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and clean life. We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor. On and on and on with each of the commandments, he begins his explanation with a simple statement. We should fear and love God. The early church and the great reformers knew well the love of God, the trust of God, and the fear of God. And they held them all together at one time as a great holy unity which raises the very rational question. Why do so few Christians today struggle with this same concept, struggle to do the same thing? For what it's worth, I believe the problem boils down to two things. First, a basic failure to really grasp how huge and holy and awesome God really is. And second, a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Bible means by the fear of the Lord. First, let's just go ahead and be honest. This concept is hard to get your head around. I mean, let's be honest. Part of the problem is that God is so holy. God is so pure. God is so glorious and so awesome, so far outside our experience that we honestly cannot comprehend it. Because we've never experienced anything uh, encountered anything remotely like him before. Thankfully, the Bible offers us a little bit of help in telling us about Moses and Moses' relationship with God. We understand Moses was very close to God. Moses probably walked more closely with God than anyone ever had before him, with the possible exception of Adam. And yet on one occasion when Moses went to God and said, God, show me your glory and all its full. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see all your glory. God said, you can't handle it. God said, to, to see in my fullness of my glory would simply result in your death. In fact, God's exact words were, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. We understand Jesus is God in human form. When Jesus first walked this earth, one of his very closest friends was one of his disciples, a guy named John. And when John wrote about his, you know, his adventures with Jesus in the world, he referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We, we, we read in the Bible at the, on the night of the Last Supper that John rested by leaning his head on Jesus' chest. So close, such good friends. And yet, sometime later, after Jesus was risen from the dead, he appeared to John in his glorified form. And the Bible says, John fell at his feet as though dead. There is something about, uh, I don't know what's going on here, but Okay, that's, are you doing this or am I doing this? Okay. There's something about the glory of God that is simply terrifying. The holiness and the purity of God is way more than any of us can bear. I still remember the very first sermon I ever preached. It was a long time ago. I was in college. Uh, I remember the title. I remember my four points. I remember the scriptures, the passages I used. Uh, and I remember struggling mightily with this concept and putting that sermon together because my very first point in that sermon was that God is holy. And I can remember being totally overwhelmed by my abject inadequacy, my complete inability to convey that in anything like what it was due to be conveyed. I was preaching from John 1.1, 1, 1, 
verse 5, which says, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And I still remember sitting on the floor in my parents' living room, I was living at home at the time, sitting on the floor in my parents' living room crying before the Lord because I could not begin to imagine how to convey the power and the truth of these words to people. God in his mercy met me and gave me an illustration. He showed me, you know, call it a vision, I don't care what you call it, but I saw, I, I, I was in a long hallway, and uh, I was at one end of it in the dark, in the shadows, and at the other end of it was, the th- was God on his throne. I couldn't see his face, but there was such light, such white, incredible light coming. I knew it was God on his throne. And so I began to walk toward him in this mental image that I had. And I, I took a few steps, and, the, and you know, got, got more out of the dark into the light. I looked down, and I noticed for the first time what I, what I couldn't see in the darkness, I saw in the light that my shoes were dirty. There was mud caked on my shoes. And, 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 and as soon as I saw it, bam! It just, it exploded, it was gone, it evaporated. And, and, and I, I took another couple of steps, and, and, and the, as the light grew brighter, I got more away from the darkness, I noticed for the first time there was a stain on my shirt. I couldn't see it in the shadows, I could see it in the light. And bam! The stain was gone. I took a couple more steps, and, and as the light became more intense and more penetrating, it, it began to actually penetrate and I could actually see the fabric of my clothing. And the threads, uh, the material that my shirt and pants were made of, I could see that they were flawed and imperfect, and that they were woven together in imperfect ways, and bam, they were gone. And in that moment, in that mental picture, standing there naked and terrified, I understood If I took one more step, the next thing to go was me. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. The light of God, the glory of God, the purity and the holiness and the essence of God is such that it not only exposes flaws, it obliterates them in the purity of its presence. Add to that the sobering reality that one day we must all stand before him and give an accounting of our lives and to begin to grasp that at some small level is to begin to understand the fear of the Lord. In the opening scene of the movie Kung Fu Panda, they, they tell the, the story of a legendary kung fu master that's being acted out in this cartoon. At one point, this master leaps up from the table and shouts, Shababui! Light splashes away from him and blasts his enemies to the corners of the room. And the narrator tells you in the background that his enemies would go blind from overexposure to pure awesomeness. At which point, one of the characters says, My eyes! And another one says, He's too awesome! If you've never seen it, it's fantastic. I love it. It's so silly. It's hilarious. But as silly as that scene is, it parodies a deadly serious reality. The reality that God actually is more awesome than anyone can bear. 
Now, to be perfectly honest with you, I struggle to imagine that. I struggle to conceive of what that actually looks like. I still can't really get my mind around it. And that brings me to the second problem. Namely, that a lot of Christians tend to approach the fear of the Lord as an emotion. They tend to think of the fear of the Lord as fundamentally something they have to feel emotionally. When the truth is, when you look at it biblically, the fear of the Lord is way more about what you believe and how you act on that belief than it is about what you feel. I readily admit that I struggle to get my head around the holiness of God and the glory of God, but I absolutely believe it's true. And I believe that's what the Bible has in mind when it talks about the fear of the Lord. It means believing that God is who He says He is and then living in accordance with that belief. It means believing that God is so pure and holy that nothing less holy can stand in His presence. It means believing that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. It means believing that God is the final judge. And all of us, everyone, will one day appear before him to be judged according to his perfect standards. And it means living day by day, making decisions day by day, ordering your life day by day as if you believe those things to be true. In other words, to make this as simple and as practical for you as I possibly can, to take the concept of the fear of the Lord and make it as simple and applicable to you as I possibly can, I believe that to walk in the fear of the Lord means to live your life with regard to God. With regard to His wants, His will, His purposes, and His word. It means to live your life, to choose your words, to make your decisions in the full assurance that one day you will be judged for them. That is the beginning of an understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. For years, I struggled with the concept of the fear of the Lord because I understood it as an emotion, and I kept trying to work up an emotion that was not coming naturally to me. I, uh, I couldn't really figure out how to feel fear, how to make myself feel fear. Couldn't figure out how to make myself feel fear feel fear for someone I really loved. I couldn't figure out how to make myself feel fear for someone I thought really, I believe, really, really loves me. But the more I read and the more God dealt with me, the more I came to understand it's not about what I feel. It's about what I believe and how I live based on that belief. And I got to tell you, reading the Bible has convinced me I don't really have to worry about conjuring up an emotion of fear. On the day that I see God face to face, the day that I am called to appear before Him, feeling fear will not be a problem. I will not need to conjure that emotion. I will do everything in my power to push it down. Fear will come very naturally in the holy presence of a holy God. To fear the Lord means to believe what the Bible says and then live according to that. King Solomon writes in Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yep, you got it. He writes in chapter 10, in chapter 1, 7, chapter 10, 9, he writes the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The healthy, holy fear of God, according to the Bible, is the genesis 
It is the starting point of all true knowledge and understanding. In other words, as far as God is concerned, until you fear him, like we're talking about this morning, you don't know anything. You don't understand anything. You, have, you are stumbling around in the dark until you come to fear the Lord. Until you believe deep down in your heart that God is so pure and so holy and right that nothing wrong can abide in his presence. Until you begin to believe that one day you will be called before him to give an accounting for your life and that except for the intervention of Jesus, that will be an awful day. To begin to believe that and live in accordance with it is to walk in the fear of the Lord. Until you have that, again, in the mind of God, you don't know anything in what you think you know, including, I would suggest, what you think you know about God, is likely way off base. I share this with you this morning because I am sincerely concerned that too many people who call themselves Christians are not walking very consistently in the fear of the Lord. I believe with all my heart that that, more than anything else, is the primary reason we are losing ground in the world and losing ground in our culture. You can look for a million things to blame it on, but I believe at the end of the day, the fault is the people of God failing to look and act like the people of God, which is often translated back to an absence of a fear of God. I am deeply bothered. I am deeply bothered by how many times every day I do things and make decisions without intentionally considering the Lord. Now, I'm actually decent at considering what I think God wants me to do. I really stink at considering the how he wants me to do it. And I recognize that. I, I repent of this as much as I repent of anything. Lord, I didn't ask. Lord, I didn't inquire. Lord, I didn't consider you in these things. The book of Hebrews says, in order to come to God, you must first believe that he is. I often live as if he is not. I make decisions without regard to him. I respond to people without regard to how he would want me to respond to them. I respond to circumstances without ever considering once how God would want me to respond to that circumstance. I live so often as if God were not. I am desperately bothered by that. And I am deeply bothered by the things I see Christians doing daily. Things that are patently, obviously contrary to Scripture. And yet, simultaneously, things they seem very proud of. I am deeply concerned and genuinely bothered. And I want to suggest this cannot continue. As the people of God, we must do better. We must help each other do better. We must develop an authentic community where you can call people on their things and an authentic community where people will let you do that as well. We must develop a discipleship culture where I want to grow. I want to purify myself even as he is pure, because that's what we do while we wait for the day he returns, it says in 1 John 3. 
I want to do that, and I want to help you do that, and I want us to help each other do that, and I want us to become the witnesses of Jesus we're supposed to be, the transformed people we're supposed to be. We've got to change and become more and more the people God's called us and created us to be. In the church app, with sermon notes for this morning, when I put sermon notes on there, I always at the end of, end them up with a putting the word into practice thing. I encourage you to check it out today. There are two simple things on there. One is take some time this week and honestly consider the question before the Lord, how am I doing with the fear of the Lord? How am I doing with the fear of the Lord? Because this can be words and you can go and have you know buffet and forget about all this in 45 minutes. My encouragement is take some time this week and honestly ask, how am I doing in the fear of the Lord? And the second question is, what areas of your life and decision-making do you need to pay greater attention to the will of God, the word of God, and the holiness of God? We want to become the people God's called us and created us to be. I believe we need to get aggressive in that regard. And um, we'll talk about it some more uh, in the days to come. Let's pray. Father, as always, um, we are grateful for the power and the clarity of your word. Your word that tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, we thank you for saying that multiple times and making that so clear to us. Now, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, by the power of your Spirit at work within us, that you would help us more and more walk in the fear of the Lord. To believe you are who you say you are. To recognize that one day we will stand before you. And to live moment by moment in this life, this day, with that day in mind. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.